Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cast podcast. We'll come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Bountasort. And aside from me not sounding like I got hit by a freight train, we are it's just another standard weekly recap, but this one is a lot brighter, with one exception, than last week's weekly recap. Also, we hit 1,000 followers on Twitter, so that's a big celebratory thing. The Ask the Alley Cats episode will be the episode after this, because if we added it onto this episode, it would probably be a two-hour episode, and uh, we both have... I, I really don't want to do a two-hour episode of <laughs> Q&A and recap, so I, I don't think anybody really wants to listen to a two-hour episode of that either. Yeah, I don't... I After the, uh, after the first couple episodes, I don't think two hours is ever in our wheelhouse again. Yeah, I, I think we'll avoid that from now on, hopefully. Hopefully, thank God. But we'll just start off. It's going to be men's and women's basketball and then the bat cats. So let's just start off with men's basketball. After we had a a quite a a down discussion last week about expectations, you know, effort, all that things just kind of got thrown right back into our face because the K State Wildcats got right back into the victory column against another top twenty. Was it 20 or 15? They were top 20. Another top 20 squad in the Iowa State Cyclones in Bramlage Coliseum. I wasn't at this game. I was too busy trying to fight for my life. But (laughs) this was a pretty solid game. 61-255 Wildcat victory. A capacity Bramlage crowd. And, you know, just you take... You we we've kind of established a tradition at this point. You take male starters, I take women's starters. So do you wanna go into stats or do you want to talk about the game generally, or how do you want to go for this one? Um, we can roll through some stats here pretty quick. Um Marquise Noel, uh, he continued to not really be very efficient from the field, although he was really good from three in this particular game. Uh four of nine from three. Uh those are his only field goal makes. Uh of the day he was over four from two uh and he was perfect at the line eight of eight a lot of those late he had six rebounds five assists four turnovers finishes with 20 points in 37 minutes uh had some head scratching turnovers still but this was a all-around probably slightly better performance despite um still taking some threes that when they don't go in they really they really hurt yeah uh but Better, at least he's in the positive on assist to turnover ratio there. Um, moving on to Keontae Johnson, he went six of 13 from the field, three of four at the free throw line, had 15 points, and he had six rebounds to assist, two turnovers, and a steal. Really quality outing uh, for him, although, as I recall, he was a little bit slow at times in this game. Uh, so 15 is under his average. That's still really good, though. Uh, Cam Carter um, didn't do a ton statistically in this game. Uh, two of six from the field, two of three from three. Had three rebounds, no assist or turnovers to steal, and six points. Um, then we're probably going to be needing more out of him as time goes on. Uh, Naquan Tomlin had foul trouble, so he only played 22 minutes, but he was two of three from the field, one of two at the free throw stripe. Had six rebounds. Three of them were offensive rebounds, three assists, one turnover, a block, a steal. Headed with five points. And rounding out this starting lineup, was Desi Sills, who started for, I think this was his first start uh, this game was. Yeah, I think it was. And this was his first start of the season. Uh, He 
played 34 minutes with one of five from the field, two of four at the free throw line, three rebounds, three assists, a turnover, a block, and a steal. And that block was emphatic, to put it mildly. <laughs> and he finished with four points. Uh, so didn't do a ton statistically, but still, I I do think he makes the starting lineup better just by being out there. Um, and then overall, the starting lineup, I don't know, this was a... I, Ultimately, this game was a tail of two halves. We were down by eight at half and still won by six. Uh, and I, I think both games in this episode are kind of similar in that we had a bit of a sketchy first half where we kind of start out hot and fall behind quickly down at half and then have a really good second half. Uh, that's kind of how it's gone uh, the last couple of games, especially when you just look at our statistical splits, which we can talk about that a little bit more. But Ace, you can into the bench players first yeah there's not much to say with the bench players you know he had ish play 19 minutes two of six from the field one of five from three which from ish you you'd want to see better you kind of you kind of want him to sit in the i'd say 40 range you know coming off the bench obviously you can't consistently get there but you know you that's what you'd aim for he was perfect from the free throw line though three boards one foul nine total points david gasson had a weirdly off day just all around. It just didn't seem like he was playing all that well. He may still be dealing with a little bit of injury, maybe a little bit of fatigue, but he played 12 minutes, one or two from the field, only one rebound, three fouls, one turnover, two blocks though, and a steal for two points. And then baby came in, had two rebounds and one foul, no points. He's just probably the best big guy that we have in terms of defense because he's, you know, solid plus defender on that end of the court. So, yeah. Um, and David Gasson also did pick up a double technical. Um, I think it was in the first half. Oh yeah. Uh, it was the, the cause that was after stupid. that, uh, flagrant foul on Desi as well. That, that was a whole weird situation that I completely, I completely forgot about it until I saw that Gasson had a technical foul. Yeah. Uh, so I, I hardly remember it at this point other than I know that Desi, he went for a box out, kind of hit shoulder to shoulder with uh, Jazz Coons and uh, he went just absolutely flying out of bounds. Yeah, and Coons turned into a plastic bag for yeah. a second. Now, don't get me wrong. It was definitely hard contact, but he did sell it, I think. And uh, then uh, tempers flared a little and then there was a double technical um, on Kassan and Jaron Holmes. And the game was a little bit chippy for a while after that, but that was a Really about as far as that went. It, it more diffused over time after that because it was late in the first half, I think, when it happened. Yeah, if I recall it, correctly. It, it was first half. I'm not sure when it happened. And, you know, of course, he had the, the announcer. He was like, this isn't a chippy game, but it's a physical game. And he said that maybe 15 times. Oh, yeah, they said that a lot. Yeah, that was this is a not big eight basketball game. OK, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I think that you can look at the uh, scoring uh, scoring totals from each uh, half, and that pretty much tells you the full story. Like, sure, we could get down to nitty gritty of uh, the statistics and whatnot. Like, uh, K State shot significantly better in the second half than they did in the first. We'll go figure. We scored 15 more points in the second half than we did <laughs> in the first. And then Iowa State they shot worse significantly in the second half. Shocking because they only scored 24 points in the second half. Right. Like it kind of speaks for itself there. Yeah. Um, but this was Iowa State without 
um, Caleb Grill, which is, I guess, somewhat notable. But he he's it's not like he's their best player or anything. Gabe Kalsher is their best player, and he had a pretty bad game. Uh, although some of that was good defense, he was also just missing a few. Oh. But K State all in all played a, they in the second half found a way to like be Iowa State at their own game in some ways, keep it low scoring, keep possessions low, and not turn over the ball really that much, all things considered. Uh, just eleven total turnovers in this game, uh, which is I think the mark that Jerome Tang uh set out. Yeah, early in the season he said uh that 11 turnovers was kind of what they were looking for like per game as like a uh a, a mark to hit i think we're at 13.3 turnovers per game right now which is not very good but uh it, the last couple of games have been a lot better from this standpoint and then we finished at positive as a team with uh 13 assists to 11 turnovers that ratio there is good but uh, we do get out rebounded in this game. Iowa State had 18 offensive rebounds in this game, yeah, uh, which is yeah. just absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we did get to the foul line more than they did. Uh, three point. Um, we made more and we were more efficient on a fewer attempts. Uh, and Iowa State took uh, 14 more field goals than we did in this game. <laughs> they took 14 more shots. Uh, we did, but only made one more shot than yeah. we did, which is pretty insane. Um, and only some of that can be contributed to three pointers. They shot six more three point shots than we did. So they were, they were taking more shots. Some of that is, I guess, desperation at the end of the game and whatnot, but they were not shooting particularly well. They're not a great offensive team. Uh, they're in some ways kind of emulative of some of the better Bruce Weber teams, especially from later in his tenure. Uh, where they play really good defense and the offense can be good, but sometimes they just go absolutely bone cold and just can't hit anything. And that was kind of this game for Iowa State. It's not like K-State shot fantastic either. We were under 40% from the field, 33.3% from three, which is pretty good, but not fantastic. Shot well at the free throw line, but we didn't do anything like unbelievable in this game for the most part, I'd say. Didn't have to. Yeah, second half was pretty good uh all things considered um iowa state did narrow it early but we were able to uh really push it um a little bit more and iowa state kept pushing back and even briefly took the lead but uh kind of similar to the uh tcu game we didn't let that phase us uh and we're we got the lead all the way out to nine and it ended up being a six point game but that was just because they made a meaningless three-pointer at the buzzer that put Kalsher into double figures, I guess, but didn't really do anything other than that. I mean, being so, fair, being fair to them, we did the same thing last year with Nigel Pack. So that is true. Yeah. Granted, that was way funnier though, because it was like a one half course because of it. <laughs> and it was a half court shot too. Like, like it, it was very similar. So but it did, it still didn't mean anything, but the game was close enough to where it felt like it meant something. Then you check the scoreboard and you're like, Oh, yeah. never mind. But, oh. but yeah, this was, I don't know it's been a little while since this game happened. Um, so my memory is a little bit fuzzy on it, but I do remember it being really stressful and frustrating in the first half. And uh, this is a massive, massive, massive win. So that way we didn't let Iowa State sweep us and we uh, really helped hamper them in their quest to, uh, I don't know, finish more high in the Big 12. I think they're all the way down to like the five or six seed at this point. Yeah. They just got blown out by Texas and. They uh, they may be playing on Wednesday now. 
they're gonna be pushing it at, at this point they, they actually will be um it depends on yeah they're in fifth right now tcu is in sixth but that's not gonna last nope <laughs> yeah i'm they, so glad we played tcu when we did at home yeah they two of their last three games are tech and ou granted they're both on the road um, so who knows what will happen with that, but they are full strength now. So they, I imagine that they, they will w- win those games, at least one of them. Um, but Iowa state, they kind of similar to last year, they start out really hot, but they've really been in a tailspin as of late. They've lost six of their last eight, uh, which is sources report, not very good. Um, but I mean, in case they, hasn't been fantastic either, but we've won four for our last eight, which is better. So, but I don't know. Um, Tough sledding for Iowa state as things stand. I I don't feel too bad for them, but uh, I've interacted with their Twitter fans. I don't feel bad at all. They've got OU and West Virginia at home for the next two games. So that's a nice little gift, but then they finish on the road at Baylor. So I, I hope it was fun. I was, Hey, while lasted, they'll probably finish 10 and eight in big 12 play. But I don't know. Yep, but that is the farm again matchup. Now we get to talk about the matchup that Connor and I had no expectations for. And you and I seem to have a pretty bad track record this year when we go down to Baylor with absolutely zero expectations in basketball because uh, we're three and four in games that we have zero expectations versus Baylor in basketball <laughs> across both catskitballs. But, um, you know, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> This was a 75 and 65, 265 Wildcat victory down in Bramlage Coliseum. It was another allegedly sellout crowd. There are a few empty seats, but I, this was, well, first off, there was the new debut of the new way of doing Sandstorm, which aside from, I think, them playing Sandstorm a bit too early in the game, they played it with like 12 minutes left in the second. I think Sandstorm is more of like a, a five minute or less kind of thing. Like, you know, when you kind of need that extra shot of adrenaline, I thought it was fine. I'm not going to step on it too much because there's a Q and a question that we got earlier today that we'll be answering, but I thought it was cool. Yeah. I wish I could have been there, um, but it looked awesome from the tons of videos that I've seen. And I've watched pretty much every single one I've seen. Cause I can't get enough of it. But cool. yeah, like you said, I won't step on it too much, but Really, really good idea by the AD. Um, but that was also a critical juncture in the game that put us up to a uh, six, and it was after the Keontae dunk and then a uh, Cam Carter layup. Uh, that and we uh trailed just a few minutes before by three, and then ended up by, up by six. They take a timeout, um, and it did not matter because we ended up going up to like. 13 yeah and uh um 12 13 14 yeah i forgot the lead got to be that big but yeah really really cool and going down the list that probably there probably wasn't a better time to play it i think um especially since we pulled away but it could have backfired oh yeah uh if we had let them back in because i sandstorm i feel like should be I, i think you put it well it should probably only be a thing that happens when you're like the game is almost in hand or basically is in hand or like a big momentum shift has happened and like it's getting really late. It felt a little bit early to me as well, but I'm not going to split hairs about it because like it didn't matter. Yeah. 
But yeah, you got you got starters. Yeah. So Keontae Johnson had a absolutely fantastic game. Um, 11 of 17 from the field, two or four from three, one of two at the free throw line, and then throw in a uh, couple of dunks, uh, an early lob, and then a breakaway uh, slam on a really, really good find from Cam Carter. Uh, so Keontae Johnson had himself a day from the field, 25 points in 38 minutes. Now, then he had just one rebound, uh, which is pretty low for him, actually, because I think he's leading the team to rebounds, but that wasn't uh, really what he's focused on. If he's dropping 25, I honestly don't care. But <laughs> You can do what you want, you're dropping 20. I don't yeah. care. Still ended up with three fouls because he does not get the star treatment when it comes to fouls. And then he had four assists and three turnovers. So really fantastic day from Keontae Johnson. And moving on to uh, Marquise Noel, who had a really strange game. Uh, this was definitely his cleanest game uh, in everything but shooting in quite some time. He finishes with 10 assists and zero turnovers. Just fantastic there. You cannot ask for much more. Only thing I'll say is that there was one or two times he almost had a turnover, but the ball just bounced the right way and yeah. we were able to retain possession that it otherwise would have been a turnover. But I digress. Um, did not shoot well from the field at all. Two of 11 from the field, zero of six from three, but he was 10 of 10 at the free throw line. Uh, continues to be a fantastic free throw shooter. He's right on the cusp of 90% uh, from the free throw stripe. 14 points on the day for him, two rebounds as well, uh, two steals. He had four fouls too. So Marquise um, still forcing some threes. Granted, some of them were open and he just didn't make them. Uh, but also at this point, he is kind of figured out, I think, when he's driving to the bucket. There's just there's not really a move left in his arsenal that other teams don't know about, with the exception of the three-pointer, I think. So Keese, unless he's taking wide open layups, probably shouldn't be penetrating to score very much, but rather to just to distribute, which is kind of what he was doing in this game for the most part, other than when he did take those shots that mostly got rejected. But he uh had a fantastic day as a distributor, so you can't complain too much there. Uh, Cam Carter had probably his most well-rounded day. He almost had a double-double. Um, he played 33 minutes, had 10 points, 5 of 11 from the field, 05 from 3, but he did have a huge transition dunk uh, and then uh, didn't do great from 3. That's normally, that's normally where you'd like to see him succeed, but it he, he still was able to make up for it in other areas and was really better than normal for his standards uh, around the basket. Normally, he's missing some head-scratching layups and stuff like that yep. in games, but uh, ends up going five of six uh, for on two-point shots, so good for him. Eight rebounds, two assists, one turnover, a block, two steal, finishes with 10 points. Really nice day for Cam Carter, and pair that with some good defense. Uh, Naquan Tomlin only played 19 minutes because of foul trouble, uh, but he went three of six in the field, one of two from three. When he shot the three, my heart sank because we were really starting to fall into a pit. Like I think we were down by eight or maybe 10. And then he hit that three. And like, I put my head into my hands when he <laughs> took that corner three. I did not have any faith in him and I apologize, but he uh, still finishes with eight rebounds, four offensive rebounds, an assist, a turnover, a steal and eight points. Uh, so solid day for Naquan Tomlin in limited minutes. Um, and then Desi Sills, two of six from the field, two of two from the free throw line, five rebounds, 
three assists, one turnover in six points in 33 minutes in his second game as a starter. So solid game for him. Yeah. And I've seen it for some reason. I remember seeing discourses like, well, if Desi's starting now, that means he's not going to get six man of the year. It's like, that's not how it works. It's, it's not, it's a, that's not how it works. And B, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's not how six man of the year works. I, I I guess I, I know Coach Tang said something in a uh, press conference that he actually called the Big 12 offices about it. And I think they said it's you have to not or you have to come off the bench in at least half of your team's games, I think is what it is. Well, he's already done that. So Yeah, he's he, he did that a long time ago. So he, <laughs> he he's he's fine to start indefinitely at this point. Yeah. Well, anyway, the other three is kind of the the cycling rotation of the the bigger guys plus ish. David Gasson, twenty three minutes, three three from the field, one of five on the free throws. Yeah, he can't have that. I don't understand why he lines up like a wide receiver whenever he's throwing, like getting free throws. Yeah, he his legs are like so far apart when he's taking free throws, and I I, I don't understand it. And I'd say whatever works for him, but it doesn't work. It's not so, working. <laughs> so like he may want to consider something else. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not sure though. <laughs> he had four rebounds, two of them offensive, two fouls, one turnover, seven total points. Ish played 13 minutes, two of three from the field, one of two from three, one rebound, that being an offensive rebound, five points. Then Bebe came in for three minutes to play some solid defense because that's he, he did miss a shot, and that shot was kind of painful to to watch him miss. But you know uh, it was a fairly routine layup. Yeah. And just couldn't convert it. Oh, also fun fact on David Gasson, he currently is shooting 8% better from three than he is from the free throw line. He is shooting on granted seven attempts, 57% from three and on uh, 49 attempts at the free throw line shooting 49%. So he's 24, 49 right now. However, this gives an opportunity for him to be 25 to 50. If he gets an hand one next game, and that would be very satisfying. But yeah, David Gasson has been very up and down as of late. Two offensive rebounds is huge. Some possessions, he looks really good. Others, he kind of gets pushed around, and it's just kind of inconsistent. But that's just kind of how he's been since he's come back from his injury. I remember he went on that reign of terror and non-conference where yes. he made like 20 shots in a row or something like that. And <laughs> like, it was just absolutely wrecking shop against some quad four teams, but he, it's been a long time since that. Uh, I think he needs an off season to really get fully healthy. It's probably what he needs and get a little stronger too. Yeah. Um, but all in all, he's been okay as of late, but like you said, one of five in the free throw line that cannot fly uh, at this point. He, he's got to be more reliable than that. More reliable than Tyke green at the stripe who I think he's like 34% free throw shooter or something like that. Yeah. We haven't seen Tyke recently. Yeah. He has not played in the, uh, in the last two games, which was a, a thing I was about to bring up, but I, I, I'm a little, a little surprised, I guess, just because he did kind of have that hot streak, but he also was a very situational player. I feel like, cause he's just not really reliable from the field unless he is like dunking basically. Yeah. Like, like if he's not dunking, or literally right at the rim, then there's a pretty slim chance the ball's going in. Even at the free throw stripe, he's not very good there. Hasn't been a good three-point shooter either. Um, great defender and good to bring off the bench, but I 
I, w- I, I am still a bit surprised that we haven't seen as much of him. Yeah. Also, one one final thing that I want to touch on in this game is the K-State three-point percentage of 19%. Yeah. I, I Our field goal percentage was 48.3%. Awesome. You love seeing that. 19% from three. I If we lost this game, that's probably what we'd be talking about. You want to know how I know that? Because we've watched women's games. But it's, it's yeah, you'd want to see better than that. Yeah, yeah. Um, however, what this also does mean is that we were fantastic from two in this game. Like, because we were attacking the paint and we just slaughtered Baylor on paint points. 42 paint points for us, just 16 for Baylor. We abused them on the interior. We had some plays that were drawn up early to just get us easy pain points. Keontae got two lob passes in like the first two possessions and they both worked. And then we had Naquan go in uh, and act like, uh, and we had Keontae act like he was going up for the lob, but we just hit uh, Naquan for an and one uh, and he converted. But yeah, 421 from three, not good at all. Um, a lot of that is Marquis going 0 of 6, of course, because generally he's going to make at least a few of those. But even if he made his season average would put him a two of six that that still is not good <laughs> six of 21 still not fantastic at all but we shot 57 percent from the field in the second half while going one of nine from three which is just absolutely unbelievable because we basically made almost every shot that was not a three-point attempt in the, in the second half yeah uh Looking at it quickly, we went 14 of 17 from two and in the second half, which is 82% on two-point shots, which is just ludicrous. And then for the game, we would have been 24 of 37, which would put us at about 65% uh, on the game from two-point range. So we were doing something right and really converting some of those shots that a lot of the time in past games we've missed and it's really come back to haunt us like easy layups and like little bunnies that we just aren't able to convert. Cam Carter had a few that mattered a lot. Um, uh, Keontae of course was super efficient and did a really good job, but yeah. And of course, Marquise being more secure with the ball, making some really good passes as well. And everybody really stepped up to finish except for baby i guess he misses one layup but that's okay he he tried his best he tried <laughs> his best okay. and but yeah we we were really really good from the field uh 71% from the free throw stripe um i'm not going to hold that against them though because that's just such a skewed metric like at this point you can really only measure this team based on individual free throw shooting cuz Keese was 10 of 10 but Gasan was 1 of 5 so like yeah. it's barely <laughs> fair to judge the whole team as like one unit on free throws so <laughs> I, I I simply won't, but yeah. So that is the men's basketball games they've had. The next game is up against Oklahoma state down in Stillwater. That game's kind of scary because Oklahoma state's been hot yeah. and Gallagher Iba has been pretty difficult to play at this year. Oh, one last thing on this game. We only had seven turnovers. Uh, oh yeah. That's, that's, our, right. that's like our season best mark. I think um, Keontae had three of them and then we had four other guys with one Keese had uh, zero. zero. So shout out to men's basketball team for taking care of the ball. 20 assists to seven turnovers. Good for yep. them. And that's that's big. That's real big. Mm-hmm. 
All right. So remember how we said for multiple weeks that moving on to women's basketball. Uh, remember how we said multiple weeks that uh, losing to TCU was not acceptable and there'd be a meltdown on this show if we did? I, I remember that. It happened. The women's team lost to TCU in Fort Worth, 75 to 62. And while I think it would be very funny to go back and read the messages with which I sent to Connor, because Connor can confirm that I was, in a word, irate (laughs) this game. Yeah, that's one way to put it. I mean... I was also not happy about this result. Um, Granted, anybody with a functioning brain should be pretty disappointed and upset because, man, that's a, I mean, straight up, it's an embarrassing loss. I mean, that was a team that was zero of 13 in big 12 play up until they beat you. And um, they weren't competitive in any of those games. Yeah, uh, they were not a good team. Generally, more often than not, we're blown out. This is a team we beat by 20-ish earlier in the uh, season, and we just played a bad game uh, against uh, the Horned Frogs. They, granted, were just shooting the lights out uh, better than they normally do. They were 50% from three. TCU was in this game, but, I mean, uh, that's hardly an excuse uh, some of it's an effort issue, um, but I also think we didn't expect to get this much fight from a TCU team that just has been awful. And I mean, they're not playing any postseason ball, and there there's no expectation. Like they don't they won't even get an invite from like the one that comes after the NIT. I can't even remember what it's called. I think it's like the CBI or something like that. And uh, yeah, just a really, 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 really bad game. And a game that K-State, I think, probably was embarrassed about based on the results of the following game. But I I don't know. There, there's no moral victory to draw from such an no. objectively awful loss. Like it, and I don't want to be the guy that says like they should be embarrassed, but they, they kind of really should be. Like, because this is... This isn't this isn't losing to Tulane in football where we figured out, you know, eventually we figured out they were good. No, TCU is genuinely the worst team in the Big 12, bar none. And they may very well be the worst power five women's basketball team in the country. Honestly, if you're still if you're willing to extend it to power six, who else competes like Houston, maybe. But I I'll do some quick research on that claim. Yeah, you can do the research while I go over starter stats. Um, Gabby Gregory played 39 minutes, 5 of 17 from the field, 2 of 8 from 3, 3 of 300 free throws, 5 rebounds, only 1 foul, 3 turnovers, 15 points. Jalen Glenn played 23 minutes, 5 of 8 from the field, 3 of 4 from 3. Jalen Glenn's been quietly very hot from 3 recently. Uh, That's that's one of the, the, the few positives to draw from this game is Jalen continued to be hot from three. 
She also had five, four rebounds, but did end up fouling out and had four turnovers. Can't have that. Two steals, 13 points. Her sister, Briley, 34 minutes, five of 13 from the field, one of nine from three. No rebounds, ended up fouling out and giving up two turnovers, two steals, 11 points. Serena Sundell had probably her worst game of the year. 35 minutes, one of seven, 0 of three from three. Five of eight on her free throw attempts, six rebounds, four fouls, nine assists, five turnovers, one steal, seven points. Sarah Shamatsi, 19 minutes, 0 of five, six rebounds, three assists, three fouls. I just... I, Sometimes you have off nights in shooting, you know, so Gabby Gregory going five of 17, you you can't really predict that happening because that's just not something that happens a lot, but like you can't just, you can't just do that. Like, I think if you're going to, if you're going to look at any, there are only two positives to take away from this game. Jalen Glenn stayed hot from three and Eliza Moppin off the bench had a double-double in 21 minutes. She had 10 rebounds and 10 points. Five of those were offensive rebounds, by the way. Eliza Moppin is already a problem, and it's going to get worse for other teams. However, the unfortunate consequence of me thinking that is me accepting at this point, due to this loss, that this year is kind of a wash. <laughs> and, like, it... I, I, you know, obviously they probably make the NIT, you know, maybe, probably. They're pretty much an NIT lock, I think, because um, I think at this point they're guaranteed to finish 500 or better. And that's like the bar to be an NIT team. So I'd imagine that they're going to be in the NIT and probably host. Yeah, they'll probably host in the NIT. They'll win a couple games. I... I'm not sure how I'd react if, if they won the NIT. <laughs> They've won it before. The Back in 2006, they won the WNIT. That was one of the Shaylee Lenning teams. I remember very, very fuzzily uh, watching that game on like the worst resolution cable broadcast of all time. <laughs> like, like I, I remember it being really fuzzy already, and the memory of it from when I was like seven makes it even worse. So, yeah. like... Oh, also, I did find some uh, contenders for worst power six team. Uh, Xavier um, in the Big East, um, they're seven and 20 overall, zero and 18 in conference play. Uh, Pretty bad. I didn't find any ACC contenders that fall to the level of TCU, although Pitt came close ish. Um, Northwestern in the Big Ten, they're nine and 18 overall, two and 14 in Big Ten play. Pretty bad. Um, Pac-12, this is an intriguing one, is Arizona State. They're 7-18 and and 0-16 and in Pac-12 play. And then you get the SEC where Texas A&M 6-18 and and 1-13 and in the SEC. So there's a handful of contenders for worst Power 5 um, team this season. TCU, I think, at the very least is bottom three based off of that list. Um, they're right there with the Xavier, Arizona, A&M group, I think is probably what we're looking at. Not that this really matters in the greater context of our show, but we are illustrating how awful this loss is, basically. It yeah. is what we're going for, I guess. Then, yeah. on top of everything, this is a team that Jeff Mitty was the coach of before he came 
to uh, K State, gosh, like eight years ago or something at this point. Yeah. But, so this one probably stings extra for him. Um, losing to a team that fired you has got to suck. But, yeah. We say all this. We're done talking about this game. We say all this because they come back and win their next game up against KU. And not only do they win, they blow them out. They end up beating KU and Bramlage 63-45. to 45. I Cool. I, I'm happy that we won this game. I'm happy that they only had one person in double-digit scoring. I'm glad Serena Sundell and Gabby Gregory both found their shot again. You know, I, I'm glad that I got to see Eliza Moppin, however however little time she got, and watch her just be more athletic than people and be one of the most violent blockers I've ever seen in a women's basketball game. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm, I'm glad this game happened. I just wish the previous game didn't. Yeah, yeah, they they really played great in, in, a, in this one. Um, KU started out super hot. Uh, they won the first quarter, fifteen to uh, the twelve. They were up ten four at one point and thirteen uh, seven at uh, one point and fifteen to twelve by the end of the uh, uh, of the first. But really, beyond that, K State took the lead early in the second and did not look back from that point and gradually grew that lead out in the second quarter and then exploded in the second half. And got out to a pretty substantial lead. Yeah, I, I I'll go over stats a little bit here. Serena Sundell, thirty six minutes, eight of ten from the field, didn't try a three point shot. Eight of nine from the free throw line, five rebounds, two fouls, seven assists, five turnovers. You want to see her clean that up a little bit. One block, four steals, twenty four points. Gabby Gregory, thirty three minutes, eight of twenty one from the field. So again, not that efficient, but doing her job. Uh, three of ten from three, fine. Uh, one of two on her free throw attempts, four rebounds, one foul, two turnovers, twenty points. Jalen Glenn had thirty-eight minutes, three of thirteen from the field, one of seven from three. So taking back what I said about her being hot from three, uh, one of two from the free throw line, four rebounds, three fouls, six assists, two turnovers, and a rare game without a steal from Jalen Glenn in the Big 12 steals leader, and it's not close. She did, however, give all of those to Briley, who played 35 minutes, one of seven from the field, one of five from three, four rebounds, one foul, one assist, one turnover, one block, five steals, three total points. Sarah Shamatsi, 21 minutes, 0 of three from the field. All of those were from three. Five rebounds, three fouls, three assists, three turnovers, one steal, zero total points. And... We got to see a, a few other new faces, but Connor covers the the bench players for the women's team. So, it, and we've already talked about Eliza Moppin not getting many stats, but still being the most entertaining player to watch. Yeah. Um, starting out first with uh, Emily Ebert, Kansas native. So this game probably means a lot. Uh, she played 17 minutes, two or four from the field, two rebounds, two fouls and assists and four points. Heavenly Greer played 10 minutes, hadn't seen much of her as of late, but she was a solid matchup for KU because they do have some big post players uh, that they they like to use, although uh, Tiana Jackson was largely uh, um, ineffective offensively, just four shot attempts for in 37 minutes, uh, despite at one point being a front runner for, for Big 12 Player of the Year. Heavenly Greer went two of two, 
uh, had four rebounds. Three of those were offensive rebounds, had two fouls, had a steal and four points. Uh, the rest of the bench players did not score. Um, Eliza Mop was the only one to attempt a field goal. She played eight minutes, but had five rebounds in that time <laughs> and had two offensive rebounds. She had a foul, two turnovers, two blocks and a steal. And as Ace reported, those were pretty violent blocks. Um, yeah, Eliza Moff, and she continues to every time she steps on the floor be by far the best athlete on the floor. And it will be a terrifying day if and when she becomes the best basketball player on a court because she she's already very difficult to stop, as in like staying in front of in front of her. She stops herself more than anybody, I think. Um, like I, I think that just the lack of basketball knowledge at this point in time and uh, lack of like organized basketball experience um, is probably the only thing holding her back at this does, point. Does this sound familiar to someone else that we know on K State? No, <laughs> the <laughs> Naquan Tomlin is very similar, but yeah. granted, he is much more drastic because he just yeah. did not play basketball at all. Yeah, <laughs> like he was like a senior or whatever. But Eliza Moppin, uh, when she adjusts to the D one game, which I'm. I wish that she would get a few more minutes than just eight in this game. Like, especially because we had a pretty sizable lead. Like this was a perfect opportunity for her to take some of Shamatsi's minutes late in the game that Shamatsi just doesn't really need at this point. Yeah. Like we know what Sarah Shamatsi is and it's a streaky shooter that uh, is one of the larger players in the team that will have play some defense uh, down the post. But this would have been a good opportunity for Moppin, but she also is kind of not a good matchup with Tyon Jackson, so I get it. Um, Rebecca Dollinger and Taylor Lauterbach each played a minute and did not register any stats. Taylor Taylor Lauterbach's minutes have really fallen off the face of the earth um, over the last month or so. Um, Dollinger, we haven't seen a ton of this year either, um, which isn't the worst thing in the world. I think they're probably playing the correct role um, as things stand. Unless one of them starts to get on a hot streak, which a Dollinger could all of a sudden become like that 40% three point shooter that she was. She in Juco. was Juco. <laughs> I, I personally would really like that, but I, I think that'd be fantastic. Honestly, if she would just become a really good three point shooter again, but yeah, we'll see sick. if that happens. But yeah. Yeah. Um, Bench players, nothing super notable that jumps off the stat sheet, I guess, from most of them, other than the appearance of Heavenly Greer and then uh, Eliza Moppin continuing to develop and be one of our favorites. Um, and then I guess another notable stat is that K-State shot better in each successive quarter, um, percentage-wise. Uh, started 25% um, from the field, then second quarter, 35%. Third quarter, 46%. And then the fourth quarter, they're 53% from the field. So got better as they went uh, from the field. Three-point shooting was generally not great in this game, but it did not matter because our defense was really good. We had 13 steals. Five of them were from Briley. So we <laughs> we did just fine there. But um, points off turnovers were huge in this game, 19 of them. And we won by 18. Yep. So this this game this game made us happy. And luckily, with uh, with one exception, the next two games are quite winnable. That is at West Virginia in Morgantown and at Oklahoma. I it, One's more winnable than the other, and that's West Virginia. Uh, I don't see us winning at senior day up against Texas. I, I love this team. I truly do. Uh... <laughs> yeah, they're, they're just a matchup nightmare for us. And 
every conceivable way. I think they just bring so much size and they're so physical and aggressive defensively and get away with a lot more than um, any other team does um, defensively in terms of contact. Uh, I, I'm not knowledgeable enough to know why that is. Maybe there's a reason. Maybe they're just paying off officials. I don't know. Either option is just as likely as Texas, but they're going crazy. <laughs> but I, uh, I, I have very little faith in our ability to beat Texas. But if we get at least one of the last three, which probably has to be West Virginia, that'd be awesome. That put us at 17 wins. And we could lose our last two regular season and then lose in like the first round of the Big 12 tournament. And we would still have an above 500 record. Um, and if we do that, that'd be great because then we'll almost certainly be in the NIT. I'd like it if we could pick up at least one game in KC, though, and reserve a better NIT seed because we really played ourselves out of uh the NCAA tournament, despite having some nice marquee wins. But I mean, that loss at TCU pretty much put the nail in the coffin. I think I, we are at the point where we would have to win out and then probably win the all of our games at KC. Yeah. Like it, it, going 0 of 7 away. Yeah, that'll do that. That'll, that'll do that for you. Yeah. Which is a far cry from at one point, this team was a top 25 team. And uh, I think that was back in November, that was, December. That, that was like, this, that was December. Uh, somewhere around Cause there. Because it, it all fell apart after we lost to South Dakota State. Yeah. And that was just a four-point loss. And uh, then we uh, got blown out by Texas to start conference play by like 40. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a unfortunate turn of events, uh, I, I, I suppose. Oh, uh, and Houston has ended up not being as bad as uh, you would think. They're still bad. They're below 500, but they're eight and five in their conference. Some of that is the Americans really bad, but 11 and 15 overall. So I, I don't know why that's relevant. I I just saw them on the schedule. Remember we played them. I mentioned them earlier. Oh, that is right. You did do that. But yeah, this team kind of similar to the back hats uh they can really get it going at home sometime but put them on the road and all of a sudden all of their power just leaves but yeah that that's actually a good transition to the bat cats and they actually started off i've you know kind of we're gonna do at least i i think it's probably best that instead of going individual games we kind of go through series with the bat cats instead of you know yeah, <laughs> it's like uh, here's what happened this game. Here's every single. Yeah, I don't want to spend 45 minutes talking. Yeah, I also that. don't. I, I mean, I would, but I don't think anybody else wants to do that. So. <laughs> yeah. So the first series of the year was up against Stephen F. Austin down in, in Nacogdoches, Texas. I just butchered that. Nacogdoches, Texas. You're pretty close the first time. I mean, like yeah. that wasn't bad at all. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. But um. <laughs> <laughs> First game of the year was 7-6, second game 8-4, uh, 14-8 third, and then 16-5 in the final game. That is the first away series that K-State has opened with that has been a sweep in K-State history, and it is the first series sweep since 1986 to open a series season? I think it was the first, I think they meant the first road Four game road series sweep 
uh, in however long. I think it was the first road seasons road series sweep to start a season since the 80s. And it's only ever happened, I think, twice in K-State history. And it was in, once in the 80s, once in the 70s. But yeah, big, big time win uh, for this series. Stephen F. Austin is not going to be a good baseball team this year, I don't think. Oh, no, but not. regardless, winning four games in a row on the road against a conscious opponent is pretty difficult. Like, like Stephen F. Austin is not a good team, but they are conscious and putting forth effort so like like it, and especially for a k-state team that has struggled so much on the road starting out with a four game road sweep even if it's a bad team is impressive enough itself based on past trends we'll see if that carries through the season knock on wood but i regardless am happy uh and every game went better i think because, I mean, you start out with, like, just barely squeaking out a win um, the first time around uh, by one. Then you make it a four-run margin the second time around. The third time, you win by six. And then you just blow the doors off them on the last uh, game of the series, 16-5. to I mean, Stephen Apostle was really never in that game. Um, but, I don't know. What are, I guess we can still do some general thoughts and takeaways from uh, that that series. Um what what do you have, Ace? Uh, well, for just like a, a grand, like like larger scale takeaways, I guess. Well, the the first and foremost thing is uh, maybe we can do like series MVPs whenever we get to that point. But the the first and foremost thing is pitching is going to be a problem, specifically <laughs> uh, starting starting pitching, because I I I think we're setting it up to where our consistent weekend three is going to be Owen Burma. Jackson Wentworth and then Herman Fajardo. We'll talk about Fajardo in a minute because he comes into play against the, in the Lamar series, the series one game. Um, Burma ended up going, I think three, hang on. Burma ended up going. He went three. Yeah. He went three and he, he going three, giving up five runs, three walks, four strikeouts. That's, that's not what you want in an open series starter. And it doesn't like we didn't really know what Burma was going to be because good luck trying to find D3 baseball film. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> um, but we he's not he's not bad. He's he just doesn't have that one it skill. Like he doesn't have an elite breaking ball. He's not the most elite locator. He definitely doesn't have a lot of velocity. He's just, he does a lot of things fine. And like, I, I think that that might turn into a little bit of an issue, especially if he's going to be the opening starter for every, every weekend series. And, you know, Jackson Wentworth, he only ended up going two after, you know, we gas him up this entire time. Uh, (laughs) He only ends up going two. Herman Fajardo only ends up going four. It's, you know, like four runs, college, whatever. And then the last day starter, I think, is probably just going to be a spot guy. Like I, I always I think it's just going to be a spot guy because yeah. what? Of course, to me, to me, that back. yeah, to me, that day four guy is more appear into who our weekday guys are going to be when the season gets rolling. And yeah. uh, Dalton Beck was not great 
as I recall. He had a few wild pitches, a hit by pitch, uh, two earned in two innings, which is not great. But the main consistent theme from the uh, uh, from the pitching um, in that first series is that while the starting was really really shaky. Um, the relief was actually quite good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ty Rule was fantastic. Um, five innings, four strikeouts, just one earned, five hits, and 18 batters face. And then Corsentino uh, closed out the game in the final inning, returning from last year. Uh, so some nice quality relief there. Um, the second game, Tyson Neighbors gets five strikeouts in two innings, faces eight batters. He does give up one earned uh, and two hits, but all things considered, that's a solid outing. And then Shea Hardis, um, when three innings did not allow any runs, only two hits and two strikeouts. That's really, really great. And then, um, uh, last game, uh, or the, uh, the second, the last game, the third game, um, Wentworth really, really struggles early. Um, this isn't able to locate very well early, maybe some nerves from the having not pitched in quite some time. Um, but Corey Cater did a really great job. Um, two and two thirds, only allowing one hit and two walks, no no runs. Mason Buss didn't do great in his two thirds of an inning, but we'll come back to him. And Cole Weisenbaker was fantastic in uh, three and two thirds with three strikeouts and three hits. And then that last day, we had Corsentino Evans and Kyler Haney, and they in seven innings combined for three earned and eight strikeouts and three walks. So Really, really quality stuff from the relief guys, even though the starting was not great. Um, again, it's tough to draw any major conclusions off of anything, especially pitching, because most of these guys only had one outing uh, in that that first series, with the exception of Corsentino. Uh, so it's tough to really draw any early conclusions because these guys will ebb and flow as the season goes. And if there's been one constant with K-State pitching, it's that it relief guys have generally gotten better as the season has gone for K-State and starting has generally gotten a little worse as the season has gone, which is very concerning because the starters are already not doing great, but the relief guys are already doing really well. So we might be looking at just throwing out a guy to sacrifice for that first couple innings. And we're we're going to do the the opener strategy. We're not even going to do starters. We're going to do openers. Yeah. I, that, that may be the best strategy, but I don't know what what else do we have uh, to to draw from this series, Ace. Uh, honestly, the hitting has been really good. You you, which we expected. We we expect this team to hit very well, hit for power, and you know you you get games where Kojo hits two in the same game. He had three in the entire series. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Kalen Culpepper hits really well. Nick Goodwin, I don't think, got a home run, but he was consistently an extra good, like a good extra base hitter. Uh, even Cash Rougely, coming back from, I believe, being hurt most of the last year, was playing really well. And there are actually a few uh, surprise contrib- contributors as well. The, the biggest surprise, is, well, actually, I'll let you touch on the surprise because you know who I'm going to say. Yeah, you're talking about Brendan Jones, I'd imagine. Yep. Uh, he has been leading off, and he's been great so far uh, for, for this team. He is the perfect leadoff man um, so far through a those four games against Stephen F. Austin um, didn't strike out too much, only three times in probably 20 at-bats, uh, was drawing, he drew at least one walk in three of the four games, drew four over the series, and uh, 
um, generally hit very, very well, um, including the Lamar game. Uh, so cumulative stats for the season through five games, he's batting 400 through five starts and has only struck out four times, has drawn four walks. He's slugging 500, so he, he's doing very well there too. Um, two doubles, five RBI, uh, three steals as well. I mean, he's he's at 980 OPS right now, so you got to be really happy with that top part of your lineup as things stand. Uh, with Brendan Jones leading the way there, I, I've been pleasantly surprised because we saw him a little bit last year, mainly as a pinch runner and then a defensive sub, but we yeah. didn't see him bat too much. We didn't see anything crazy uh from him at the plate but i've really liked what we've seen from brendan jones thus far yeah i agree like that that's been a a real pleasant surprise and i suppose the not the last thing well maybe the last thing uh to talk about that's newsworthy is dom hughes did get ejected and suspended from a game uh we're all we'll say is that kalen culpepper hit a bomb a catcher from south texas said something to kalen culpepper Dom Hughes took exception and shoved him. Uh, so he's suspended for, I believe that was, was it the first or second game of the series? It was um, the second. It was the third game that he was, was suspended. It was the third game of the series. So he's uh, serving, I believe the standard suspension's four, four games. So he'll come back either at the Iowa game or at the Omaha game. Yeah, it'll be, he will... Definitely miss, as far as we know, the LSU game and the Sam Houston game, which are coming up uh, this weekend uh, for early listeners, I suppose. But uh, he could come back for the for the Iowa game uh, and he's been DHing so far um, and has actually been pretty solid um, doing, a lot, I think, much, much more consistent at the plate than he was last year. 364. Uh, through those three games, uh, 11 ABs, uh, and then four hits and three walks, just one strikeout. I think that's the big thing for him is getting the strikeouts, strikeouts down. down. And he's done a pretty good job in, in that regard. Uh, just one strikeout through those ABs. That's uh, really, really good. So hopefully we'll be able to get him back and hopefully he'll be able to start launching him out of the field of play because in a DH, we want to see some power. We know he's got the speed for it, and so far the series has been consistent. So hopefully you can start to add some more uh, to it. But I don't know. Yeah, I we we don't know what the catcher said to Kalen Culpepper. You, we can read between the lines and make an educated guess, but yeah. <laughs> we don't know what he said. Um, so we won't we won't speculate openly too much. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Kalen Culpepper had a. Uh, pretty nice series himself and it's been all around fairly consistent batting he has had two errors so far and has been he's had a few moments defensively that haven't been great uh which is unfortunate because last year he was fantastic as a true freshman defensively like one of the better defensive infielders in the whole big 12 last year that was as a true freshman he's had a few mistakes that wouldn't register as errors that he probably could have avoided otherwise, but he's been batting pretty well. He's got the highest OPS on the team right now. Uh, 1.072 is his OPS through five games uh, with the uh, tied for third most ABs uh, and then been hit by pitch twice, which leads the team and then walked three times. Does have six strikeouts, which is pretty high. Uh, that's tied for third on the team, but I don't know. It's still very early. So it's tough to draw too much from that, but 
all in all, Stephen F. Austin series starting pitching is pretty concerning. Relief pitching was uh pretty good for the most part and then batting was good for the most part as well got better as we went uh didn't have too many errors um we did have multiple games with multiple errors so maybe i'm just like getting conditioned to like the amount of errors we normally have yeah um we have the very least kept it down from getting like cataclysmic so there's that (laughs) yeah so do you have anything else you want to say about the the Stephen F series. Cause I, I was happy with it as an opening series. Yeah. I, I it went about how I expected with the exception of, I figured that we might drop a game, but we did not. So I was pleasantly surprised there. And, uh, we, um, got better as we went, which I think was the best thing that could have happened in this series was if you're going to start slow, please finish strong. We definitely finished strong. Yeah. So that's the Stephen F series. And yeah, I, next game, we kind of, you and I kind of hit an alarm bell when we saw who they played literally the night before, because that is Lamar University, who ended up beating number five in the country, Texas A&M, the night before they played us. So that was concerning. Uh, we ended up dropping this game uh, three to four, which I, I, I'm willing to call this a quality loss as it stands right now. If we revisit this and Lamar University has not won a single game afterwards, I'll be concerned. But uh, I think the the biggest part of this uh, to kind of, you know, it's a three to four game. So not a lot of offensive explosion, no errors either side. Uh, I, do you want to talk about what I think is the major story? And that's the the status of Herman Fajardo. Um, yeah, yeah, we can talk about that a little bit. Um, yeah. Lamar, hopefully this ends up being a uh, at least somewhat quality loss. I mean, they're five and zero as things stand. They went thirty seven and twenty one last year in twenty and ten, and uh, in their conference uh, did not make the NCAA tournament, but uh, still had a good season. Um, but Lamar, yeah, Herman Fajardo uh, went just two innings in this game, um, but in the second inning looked to be uh, pitching through some sort of injury. Um, and he didn't really pitch great in this game. Uh, and he was pulled after that second inning. Um, and some of that I do think was probably because it looked like he was nursing an injury um, on his, uh, um, I think it was his right ankle. Uh, it was his uh, um, yeah, back foot uh, for pitching. And uh, he um, had to take a breather at one point and like kind of stretch it out. They had the trainer come out and he threw some warmups and was able to get out of the inning at the very least. Um, but we did not see him after that. Uh, and that was a little bit concerning because even though he has not been great through two starts, uh, he was one of our better relievers last year, especially down the stretch. He was really good down the stretch last year. Oh, yeah. Um, kind of had the Eric Torres trajectory where you start out not so great and then really uh, do fantastic down the down the road. But Fajardo has been thrust from reliever to starter uh, this season. And hasn't been fantastic so far, but this injury that he seems to be dealing with may have something to do with it. Um, But then again, he is going to be starting uh, the second or third uh, game this weekend, um, which caught me off guard. I was pretty surprised by that. I, I didn't think that we'd see him this weekend, but we are, we have some great opportunities to add some, resume building wins 
uh, this weekend. So we maybe ask him to fight through it for now and then uh, give him like the next week or so off. I'm not sure. Or maybe he's feeling fine. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, we, we, maybe it's a tweak. I don't know. We don't have be. insider information. I, I, I've, if we tried really hard, maybe we could. I, I'm not interested in putting yeah. that much effort. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I don't feel like annoying the baseball team just to learn about if a guy's ankle is okay. But yeah. <laughs> we, we will learn the answer to that sooner or later anyways. Like, yeah. so, but did not have a fantastic outing against Lamar. Trey Robertson came in in relief and ends up with an, uh, the coveted infinite ERA. Uh, giving up two earned and 0.0. Of course, it's the MU transfer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tall lefty transfer. Um, so at least we do have some lefty pitchers as opposed to last year when we just kind of didn't really for the most part. But it was Dylan Phillips, baby, and that, that was it. But Robertson, he uh, um, did not do great in his uh, limited appearance. Only faced three batters, gave up two hits, had a walk. Um, but Mason Bus. Came in and was nails for three and two thirds. Uh, faced fourteen batters, did not give up a run. Um, had gave up four hits and a walk, but did have three strikeouts as well. So really nice job for uh, Mason Bus, the uh, true freshman out of Wisconsin. Um, really, really good to see some of the young guys step up here and some of the new faces. Um, really come through. Other than that, for pitching, Tyson Neighbors. Um, walked the bases loaded and then got a strikeout in classic Tyson Neighbors Tyson fashion. Tyson Neighbors fashion. <laughs> I, the Tyson I, Neighbors special. Yeah, I feel like all of last year he was constantly putting us in precarious situations and then like getting out of them. And I was like, that was really cool, but we could have just avoided that in the first place. But you know what? We didn't give up runs, so I can't complain. Uh, and Shea Hardis closed out the game, went one inning, phase three batters, and just induced some bad contact from Lamar. Uh, but Unfortunately, cats did not come out on top in this one. Yeah. I, uh, if I were to give out the MVP offensively for this game, it has to be Rafael Pelletier, who was basically trying to put the team on his back. <laughs> yeah, in this game, he pretty much was doing that. I mean, he he went a three for four um, with a solo home run, nearly had a second solo home run that bounced off of the upper part of the wall. And uh, then another time, I think he had pretty solid contact. Um, I don't remember exactly what happened with it, but just wasn't able to score. But score two K runs would, in this game for our team's three. So K would have had a home run if the wind didn't assassinate a baseball. <laughs> yeah, the wind was pretty brutal in this game. It was basically coming in directly on the batters and knocking down most everything that was that would have traveled out. And Lamar has a pretty high fence as well, so there's that too. So it's a kind of a miracle that Pelletier was able to get a ball out of the park, anyways. But he he did a nice job there. Um, then Roberto Pena was the lone other scored run. Um, Brendan Jones went one for three with an RBI too. So good for him. He did nice. Uh, we only struck out seven times as a team in this game. I think we were in double digits almost every Stephen F. Austin game. Yeah. Uh, but did not strike I, out as much in this game. That's just going to be the Batcats. They're yeah. they're big time kind of three outcome, you know, walk, strikeout, home run, except for when we randomly decide to start bonding. But that's just... I... Or in the uh, Big 12 tournament. that That's when we <laughs> become like like a baseball... We, we play like a totally different baseball team. Like even like strategy-wise, we are something else when we're down in a, in Arlington uh, for the Big 12 tournament. But yeah, I, I, I'm not going to say this is a disappointing loss because I... 
I don't think Lamar's bad. I think them beating number five in the country, L- not LSU. Good God, that's who we play. I, I think them beating A and M kind of shows that they're a good team that's capable of winning, you know, big games when they have to. I'm not melting down over this. I'd rather we win, but yeah. eh. I we are better. We are in a better position right now than I expected. Honestly, I figured we'd probably be three and two or like two and three as things stand. Um, but we're four and one. Would have been nice to get that last one over Lamar. We just couldn't quite get over the hump. I would have liked to have been undefeated headed into the Round Rock Classic because we are going to get hit by the buzzsaw that is LSU. I have zero expectations for that game because I frankly just don't know what to expect from from that game. Yeah. I, I I imagine we get destroyed, um, but it's so early in the season that you just never know. I mean, like some teams can be vastly overrated you you just don't know that's why you have to play the games but i don't know i am definitely worried about this uh this lsu game and i hope it doesn't scare off people if we do get blown out because just because you get blown out by the number one ranked team in the country doesn't mean that you're a bad team yeah um but as things stand lsu is four and oh um they swept western michigan and then they run ruled southern university uh they played all those games at home uh, in Baton Rouge, so we don't know a ton about them either. Um, in the same way, we don't really know a lot about ourselves. So we'll we'll learn a lot uh, at the very least from this outing, and but ultimately we will know the most about these games later in the season. Like maybe Iowa ends up being a really good team. Yeah. I'm not anticipating that, but <laughs> it could. Yeah, my my goal is that we leave the state of Texas above 500. So that means we pick up one of three and the round rock classic. Yeah, I I think that's a decent goal to have because um, I'm just not going to set myself up for disappointment with LSU. I, I feel like that's a fool's errand. Yeah, that's not a good idea. Yeah, I I, I will simply temper my expectations with the uh, with the LSU game. Um, Iowa, as things stand, is three and zero. Oh with wins over Indiana state and then two wins over uh, at Quinnipiac. I have no idea the quality of those teams. Um, last year they went 36 and 19 and 17 and seven in the big 10, which is pretty good. And uh, they um, had a nice run through the uh, big 10 tournament as well, but they did not play in the uh, uh, NCAA tournament despite hitting 36 wins, which is kind of surprising. Yeah. Uh, going 17 and seven in a conference play and a power conference. I think that'd be enough, but the big 10 is a little bit weaker uh, in baseball just because it's, it's Northern schools. So it's just, it's tough to succeed in a sport that's meant to be played outdoors when it's like, cold out for like half your season. So yeah. understandable. Uh, and then Sam Houston's three and two. Um, they are all over the place and their results. Uh, they lost three, one at rice on Wednesday. Uh, and then they took a series against Rhode Island with some of the most inconsistent scores I've ever seen. They won the first game three to two. They lose the second game 13 to three. And then they win the third game 25 to two. And then they play a one off against McNeese State and win 18 to six. So your guess is as good as your guess is as good as me. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> in, in regards to uh, Sam Houston. And then with 31 and 25 last year, 21 and nine uh, overall. Um, 
didn't really make any noise and they didn't really get to the postseason, it seems. But so that that's your very, very brief and incomplete preview, I guess, of the Round Rock Classic <laughs> and the other teams that we'll be seeing. One of them is ranked number one and the other two are definitely baseball teams. And yeah. we we will see if they're good or not. Just can't really tell. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the goal is to escape Texas above 500. I agree. I, I think that's a that's probably a solid outcome to desire. And they'll, they'll have a really quick turnaround to face uh, Omaha um, in Omaha uh, that following Tuesday because they play that last round rock game against Iowa Sunday at noon. They'll get done with that probably around 3.30 and they'll have to be out of Texas in probably a couple of hours. I don't know how long it takes to pack up and everything and then they gotta drive to omaha because they'll have a, another game in like 48 hours so yep and they'll be down in austin i don't think they're flying so well maybe they are i don't know the volleyball maybe. team flies yeah they probably fly then you you would think because if they don't then man <laughs> we, we could ask we could, <laughs> we could. I, I, I guess that's true because if, if they take the bus that would be brutal so I, I, I there's just no way that they are going to take the bus from uh from Austin all the way to Omaha on ride. There's just no chance. But I don't know. Uh, so early in the season, so we're we're still uh, wide eyed and uh, really excited uh, about the season. Because uh, if nothing else, is going to be an entertaining team to watch, and they're going to hit a lot of home runs. Oh so yeah, we'll this, this is going to be a fun team. They may not be the greatest team in the country, but they're going to be fun to watch. Yeah, especially at home. Yeah. So that is the recap. Now we get into the wacky segment of the week, everyone's favorite segment of the week. And that is if you had to have meals cooked and ate, if you had to eat meals cooked by only one person involved with K-State, who are you picking? My answer is very easy. Mine's easy too. I think we may have the same answer. Uh, So start with A and and yes. Yeah, it's Ayoko Lee. It's Ayoko Lee because of the baked goods. (laughs) That's exactly why I I I remember last year there were um lots of like quotes floating around about how she like uh, bakes a lot and stuff like that. So I'm like I, I feel like that's the easy answer there because I well for one I don't know of any other good chefs that are DC athletes. So I, I, I that, that's the that's a default pick there. Yeah, because like I I thought I was so clever coming up with this with I was like oh like maybe he forgot about the fact that Yoki's a noted baker. Um. If I if I can't I say Yoki, if I can't say Yoki, I'd say Javon Banks because his dad owns a food truck, so maybe he's picked up a few things. Well, it's one one person involved with K State. Uh, maybe he just have his oh dad could just do, do Javon Banks. Oh wait, wait, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. Have his dad. Jeff Jeffrey Banks, I think is his name, because uh, he's got a food truck. Um, a few other options, I guess, would be um, probably families of the coaching staff for men's basketball because you could get some really good Caribbean food from from them well i could get a peach cobbler from colin klein's wife that is true you could get a peach cobbler from uh uh shaylen klein uh i'm assuming that's what was closed the deal on avery was the the peach peach cobbler cobbler. but i'm trying to think of other options surely oh i think uh, brian anderson and van malone uh both uh barbecue some um i I seem to remember them having some sort of cook-off at one point so i I would fries fish I've seen that. That'd be good. But too. I hate fish. Yeah. 
I, I, I'd have fresh fish, maybe. I don't know. Maybe, maybe if we went out to the coast and if you got, he got like maybe some halibut or something on a halibut. But, um, gosh, who are other coaches that are like good at cooking stuff? I don't know. Or other players. I, I don't know. I guess we're not to ask everybody <laughs> what they're good at cooking. <laughs> don't like we just DM every single player, like from can you the cook? team. Like, can you cook? <laughs> no, thanks. No, all right, thanks. <laughs> Like we don't—that's the lone interaction we have with. <laughs> hey, can you cook? No. All right, thanks. <laughs> yeah, but uh, there, there's a few really, really solid options there. Uh, Aoka leaves the star power option, probably. Yeah. Um, maybe Kim Tang seems like she's always cooking something. Yeah. Uh, Dream Tang's sister. So. Ooh, doesn't uh dreams doesn't dreams wife own a bakery? Yeah, she does actually. Yeah, she has like a, a baking business and he posts pictures of it sometimes. It looks really good. But so there's a ton of options actually. We started with a very narrow mindset, but we've expanded this out to all of a sudden there are plenty of options in and around Veneer where we could uh, get some really good food. Yeah. Now I'm hungry. With that said, I am too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening. To this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to contact the show or follow us on Twitter, we are at Aggieville A Cats on Twitter. It's capital A, capital A, capital C and Cats. If you want to email us, we're Aggieville Alley Cats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at AC Edwards 00. I am at Connor Baltazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store where you can find such designs as the staff-approved Doom Tang Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats. <laughs>